0: So today in part 10, I want to talk to you about this. Be happy today. Be happy right now. Before you leave this building, you need to choose to rule over your emotions and be happy today. Ever since mankind has begun, we have searched for what will make us happy. Will drugs make us happy? Will women make us happy? Will money make us happy? We want that feeling of happiness and we don't want it to leave. And I know too many people that are putting off being happy. Once I lose 20 pounds, then I'll be happy. Once I pay off my house, then I'll be happy. Once I get that promotion, then I'll be happy. I've had people that are so upset, they want to get married so bad, they come to me and say, John Paul, after I get married, then I'll be happy. A few years later, they come back and say, once this divorce is final, then I'll finally be happy. (laughs) We've got to choose not to put off being happy, but be happy right now. First Thessalonians 5.16 says, be happy, and watch this, in faith. That means things may not be going well, but you do it in faith. People may not be treating you right, but you do it in faith, and you're glad-hearted always. I encourage you today to give yourself permission to be happy today. Today. A lot of times when we've done bad things in the past or we've gone through an abortion or divorce or one of our children hate us or whatever's happened in the past, we think, well, after everybody else is okay with me, then I'll be happy. No, you gotta be happy in faith right now, today. Ecclesiastes 3.22 says, the best thing we can do is enjoy today for we do not know the future. Uh, Greg Burns said that true happiness is having a loving, um, close-knit family Uh, that lives in another state. He said, that's actually what happiness is. Um, But we have to be able to enjoy right now. Now, here's what I want to teach you today. Your happiness is your responsibility. It is not the responsibility of your spouse to make sure you are happy. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, you know, when you get married, your role is to make sure your spouse is always happy. No, your role is to obey God in the marriage. If they're not happy, that's their fault. It's their problem and don't ever let your children see you unhappy. Don't ever let the kids see mommy's unhappy because you know the ex is doing this and someone else is treating, or daddy's unhappy because he's having to work late and da da da. Don't ever let your kids see that because what children will do is they'll put that responsibility on their shoulders to make sure that mommy and daddy are always happy. I've actually seen young children that will change, try to change their their God-given personality They'll change the, the, the things that God put inside of them in order to make mom happy or dad happy because one of them is always depressed or always discouraged or always upset. You cannot put that burden on anybody else. It is your job to be happy right now. And whether you feel like it or not, the Bible says do it today. Romans 5.3 says, let us be full of joy now. Not after I lose weight. Not after my kids get out of diapers. Not after I make more money. We have to be full of joy today. Now, here's another thing I want to teach today and that's this adulthood and maturity <clears throat> is taking responsibility for your life, right? In fact, the Bible in Proverbs, it doesn't define a child by how old they are. It defines a child by how they act. How many of you know 30, 40 and 50 year olds that still act like children? Because they don't take responsibility. And don't raise your hand if they're sitting next to you, because that'd be really embarrassing. Or point. You can point, but just don't raise your hand. I'm just kidding. Um, and how many of you know teenagers that are actually more mature than some, some older people, right? Because they're taking responsibility. Okay, listen. If your job as a, as a mature believer, as an adult, is to take responsibility, that means if you're not happy, it's not God's fault. It's not the devil's fault. It's not your spouse's fault. It's your fault. You have to choose right now before you leave this building. You are going to be happy today. Happiness is not based on our circumstances. Happiness is based on our soul. And this is actually the three points for today is our soul, our mind, our will and our emotions. If you can have a healthy soul, you'll be happy and glad hearted always just like the Bible says. Let me say it this way. Happiness is not based on what's going on around you. Happiness is based on what's going on inside of you. Because, see, listen, you can't control a lot of times what goes on around you. It'd be nice if you could. We'd really be happy then. But you can't control everything around you. So if your happiness is in somebody else or something else, you'll never be happy. If your happiness is if you can get this boy to like you or this girl to like you or make this person do right, then you'll be happy. How sad is it that your joy that God says comes from him, that your joy is put inside this person and they have to do right for you to be happy? That's not, that's not very smart, is it? Or if the if the stock market does good, you'll be happy. Lord have mercy, don't put your happiness in that, right? Or if the president's doing right, you'll be happy. No, 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 you have to be happy today. And it's all based on your soul. So listen, you, the one thing you can't control, you can't control what goes inside of you. You can't control what you put inside of your soul. Okay, so I have three points for, for you today on how to be happy today and stay happy. Point number one is this, your mind. Remember, the other points are mind, will, and emotions. It's your soul, so your mind. Philippians 4.8, fill your mind with things that are true, pure, right, holy, noble, proper. It says fill. It doesn't say 80%. It doesn't say 99%. It says fill your minds with these things. And here's why. Because if the smallest little teeny seed of worry gets inside of your mind, it'll explode and ruin all your happiness. If the smallest little seed of fear or of, of discontent, or of insecurity, if, if your mind's not filled with the right things, just something very, very small can ruin all the good things that God wants to do in your life today. You know, the apostle Paul, he was beaten with rods, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was bitten by a poisonous snake, He had a lack of food and clothes. And and, and to add to that, uh, the Starbucks line was 25 minutes long when he went to it before church. He was late for church. Um, His cell phone was dead and he got canceled and only had 30 followers on Instagram. That's how bad things were for him. And in Acts 26 verse 2, he said this, I can actually think myself happy. He was saying, if I can put the right things into my mind, if I can feed my mind the right things, then the right things will come out of me. And see, the problem with a lot of us today is, is we're feeding our mind the wrong things. If you watch the news, just listen. You'll never be happy. Never be happy. You will be in a bad mood when your children come around, when your wife comes around, when anyone's near. You will change the atmosphere of your entire home if you leave the news on. Turn it off. If you watch the wrong things, it's not. and, and you look at pornography, you think it makes it might make you happy for a little bit. It's not long-term happiness. It's not. You can't put the wrong things in your mind and expect the right things to come out of you. And the wrong people. If you keep hanging out with the wrong people that are filling yourself with gossip, they're filling your mind like you're a trash can. They put all their trash inside of you. It's not going to make you happy. I can't control all my circumstances, but I can control my thoughts. Now, um, you know, we we think that circumstantially, if things are right, then we'll be happy, right? Okay, so speaking um, on a a level of our whole, our nation is probably the most circumstantially uh, blessed nation in the world. One of the most blessed nations, no matter who's the president or what's going on, we're blessed to be in America, right? Very circumstantially, we're very, very blessed. You know, we represent 6% of the world's population, but we take 90% of the world's antidepressants. 90% of the entire world's antidepressants go in 6% of the world's population, which is America. That tells me it's not based on what's going on the outside, it's based on what we're putting inside of us. Because also, America probably puts the worst things inside of our minds than any other nation as well. I mean, everything, 90% of stuff that comes out of Hollywood is not good stuff for your mind, just so you know. Um, There was a a book that came out years ago that I I read probably 10 times. It's called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. Remember that book back in the 80s, I think? And the rest of the title is, and it's all small stuff. You know, you, you can't control your circumstances all the time. You also can't control people. Man, if we could control people, how happy would we be, right? But it's not the big things in life that steal. our It's not like somebody, you know, dying or having cancer or getting fired. It's the small things that people do that steal our joy. You know, your wife burns dinner or your kids forget their lunch or, you know, you're running late for work or whatever. It's always the little things. Song of Solomon 215 says it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. You know, I have a list of things that my wife does that steals my joy and I'm gonna put them on the screen and I want y'all to tell me which ones you, th- I'm just kidding, I wouldn't do that to her. But, but I am gonna tell you something that used to cause World War III, but thank God she's matured. Um, i need to ride home later. But anyway, listen, so. My wife, you know, she's beautiful, great. She loves to take baths. She can do the hokey pokey, all that stuff, right? But let me tell you, um, if I told her, I said, listen, we have to be somewhere at six o'clock. And so we need to leave the house at 5.30, 5.30, okay? If that was the case, and let's say it was um, April the 2nd, um, 2025, okay? And I told her every day for the next three years, on this date, we're leaving the house at 5.30 because we have to be there at six, right? Then the year of, I told her three times a day. The month of, I told her five times a day. The day of, I told her 12 times that day. Today, we're leaving the house at 5.30. we got to be there at 6. Every single time, she'll leave the house at 5.45. Every single time, 15 minutes late. Every time that drive, you talk about World War three in our house. And you know what? That little thing in my mind, the devil says, she's doing it to you on purpose. She wants you to have a heart attack. She wants to see how far she can push you until you have to call an ambulance. That's what she wants. You know, and here's what really ticks me off above everything else in the world. She's always on time. That ticks me off so bad. I want her to be late so I can yell at her and fuss at her and say, it's all your fault. If you had not been on time, he might have a wife that does that. Nobody? Oh, y'all are just a bunch of sissies and scared to raise your hands because <laughs> your wife wears the pants. I'm just kidding. Okay, so listen, I've heard of couples, a true story, I heard of a couple that would threaten divorce to each other all because somebody squeezed the toothpaste the wrong way. I actually had a couple, and every, you know there's two different ways to squeeze the toothpaste, right? You, you roll it or you just squeeze it, right? And everybody knows the right way to do it is to? Is to roll it. And don't act like y'all don't know how to roll things, you hippies. <clears throat> so here, so what's the, <laughs> I'm sorry, that was wrong. I apologize. Lord, forgive me. I'm sick. I'm sick. I'm unmet. I'm a NyQuil, so calm down, okay? That doesn't count. Um, so what do what, so what we do? <laughs> what am I saying? So what do we do about our mind? Romans 12, to be transformed his out by the renewing of your mind in the word. Listen, here's the answer. You need to be in church every single Sunday, no matter who's preaching, no matter what's going on, you need to be in here to hear the Word. You need to be in Sunday school, short groups, get a devotion, open up your Bible. Men, just get a proverb, just one proverb a day and fill your mind with God's Word and I promise the right things will come out of you. Psalm 1611, in God's presence, the manifest presence of God is when the body of Christ comes together. That's fullness of joy. Galatians 522, a fruit of being in relationship with the Holy Spirit is joy. That means you have to stay connected to the vine. If you make a mistake, ask forgiveness and get connected. If you feel ashamed, ask forgiveness and get connected. You gotta stay connected. Jeremiah 33, 11, they shall be happy. What are they happy doing? They shall be happy as they sing sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. Where? In the house of the Lord, for I will reverse the captivity and restore prosperity that was lost. Here's what it's saying. If you will get in the right place and fill your mind with the right things, God will take you where he needs to take you and everything will happen the way it needs to happen. But you gotta, and you know what it's like when you go several days without spending time with Jesus and you're on edge and there's no grace in your home and you're yelling and there's strife. You need to get connected. Number two is this, your will, your will. So your mind is, you gotta get in church, get in the right place, fill your mind. Your will, you have to turn your will over to Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be saved, and I'm sorry if that upsets you, but you have to turn your will over to God. Psalms 37, 4, it says, when you delight yourself in the Lord, here's what he'll do. He'll put wills or wants or desires inside of your heart. And whenever you delight yourself in the Lord, the desires that he gives you, they're so much better than the desires that you have for yourself before you delighted yourself in the Lord. And here's the good news. When he puts the desires inside of you, he'll bring them to pass. And here's why I'm saying this because whatever you want the most in life controls your happiness. If money is what you desire the most, then money will always control your happiness. If a person other than Jesus is what you want the most in life, that person has control of your happiness. Whatever dream you have in your heart above putting God first, that has control ultimately of your happiness. You don't need money to be happy. You don't need a person to be happy. You don't need circumstances to go well to be happy. You just need to surrender your will to Jesus Christ to be happy. Um, 2 Corinthians 8.2 says, Fierce troubles came down on the people of those churches pushing them to the very limit. The trial exposed their true colors. Here's what their true colors were. They were incredibly happy, though they were desperately poor. Isn't that amazing? Now, when it says churches, I need you to understand, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Thessalonians, uh, when you're reading these books of the Bible, even Timothy and Titus, uh, it's not written to Christians. It's not written to Christians who attend church. It is written to Christians who were members of, of a church. They joined and served faithfully that church. They were so connected that even though they were desperately poor, they were incredibly happy. So, so it, and I, I'm going to give you an example of what I'm talking about. because You know, we read the New Testament a lot and you think, oh, that's great. I should apply that. You can't, you're not a member of a church. If you're not a member, how can you apply a book that was written to members? So here's an example and I know you're not going to like it. And I don't mean to offend anybody. It's just the best one I come up with at the time. Imagine somebody comes to America from another country. Okay, and um, and they, they they say, do you want to be a citizen of America? Nope, I just want to live here. I don't want to be a citizen. I just want to you know get what I can get from it. I want to you know I'll, I'll, the tax laws. I'll apply Declaration of Independence. Yep, yep. Oh, oh yeah, I love all that stuff. Yep, yep. But I don't want to join. I don't want to be a citizen. I just want to be here and take. Now, I know a lot of you are upset with that kind of thing, right? It's the same thing. You can be a Christian, you can attend a church, but if you're not a member, how can you apply it? That was actually a good analogy now that I say it out loud that actually sounded pretty good. Anyway, I'm going to give myself a pound of back for that one. Philippians 4.12. I know how to be happy with as little as with much. I can enjoy life no matter what the circumstances are. You don't need money to enjoy your life. You don't need money. Um, I, you know, I told you a few weeks ago that um, when my kids were little, we never took them on vacation, okay? That was a lie. And I'd forgotten, but one of my kids reminded me of this. So before Asher and Sailor were born, when I just had, I think I had three, I might have had two. When you have five kids and they're so far in Asia apart, everything just gets jumbled in your mind. Like you don't even know, you know, what's going on. But anyway, and so I remember them being little and I said, you know what? Because all their friends would come home from school and they'd tell them, oh, we went to Disney World. Oh, we, you should go to Disney World. Everybody goes to Disney World. Oh, yeah, we're going to go back to Disney World in the winter. We're going to go back to Disney World. And, they, all this, and my kids would hear these stories. And not once did any of my children ever ask to go to Disney World. I don't know if it was because they knew we didn't have the money, or if they just were so happy just being at home. They never asked ever. In fact, all the, my oldest son's 20, he'll be 26 this year. My youngest daughter, she's uh, 12. And so finally, one of the last year, she asked to go to Disney World. And so we paid for her and her mom to go, because I'm never going back to that hellhole ever again <laughs> the rest of my life. But anyway, and so on. Um, but none of my kids had ever asked all this time. And so when they were little, when my three were little, I said, you know what? We're going to Disney World. I said, I like all these other rich families around here, we're going to do it. And, and we didn't have money. Our money was tithe, house payment, um, car payment, insurance, food. Like, that was our, our life. And we were very happy. Nothing wrong with that. It was great. We didn't have money. We didn't care. But I said, we're going to Disney World. We're going to Israel. And so um, I didn't have any money. So here's what I did, I have no shame. But uh, my grandmother, she made really good chicken bog. If you don't know what chicken bog is, that means you're from up north and you don't drive very well. Uh, So chicken bog, I'm just kidding. And so, um, and she she made green beans and stuff, you know. And so um, she was alive, she's passed away now. And so she made it so good. Well, I worked at a Christian school during the day, teaching music, and I worked at night playing piano all around Myrtle Beach. And so everybody that I knew from church, school, all my work, I said, listen, this weekend we're doing a chicken bog dinner. You know, give me $10 and I'll deliver, you know, chicken bog. You got to order 10 or more and I'll take it to your work. I'll take it here, whatever. So in one weekend I made $1,900 selling my grandma's chicken bog. That's right. Listen, I'm a hard worker. I got ideas. I got ideas. (laughs) And so um, I said, kids, we're going to Disney World, right? And so we, we, we got the cheapest hotel you could possibly get, you know, in Florida. And we didn't have any transport. None of our vehicles were nice enough to make it to Florida. So I got us bus tickets. Now, it wasn't one of those nice buses with air conditioning. It was one of the buses with all the windows rolled down in the middle of July. With a baby in diapers, two other kids. I mean, it was not pretty. And it was probably, it should have been called the scare bus, because the people that were on that bus, they could have killed us at any minute. But anyway, we were there, and we got on the bus, and we it took 12 and a half hours on that bus from Myrtle Beach to, and I said, kids were going to Disney World. So we get to the hotel, and of course, we're exhausted, and there's a pool outside, and so the kids say, um, you know, we want to swim today, whatever, whatever. So we swam and had a good time. I said, okay, uh, we wake up the next morning, okay, everybody, we're going to Disney World. And all of my kids said, um, we don't want to go to Disney World, we want to stay and swim in the pool. (laughs) I said, you little demons, y'all listen to me one second, okay? We have a pool bigger than this one in the neighborhood that we live in. We are going to Disney World. They said, Daddy, we want to stay in the pool and swim. We don't care about Disney World. I said, y'all listen to me. I'm the man of this house. I wear the pants in this family. I am in control. You listen to me, you submit to my authority. I sold chicken bog to everybody I knew. I took a 12 and a half hour bus with a bunch of scary people. We are going to Disney World or somebody's gonna die. We are going to Disney World. So for the next three days, we stayed in the hotel. We swam every single day. Then we took a 12 and a half hour bus back to Myrtle Beach and that was our vacation. And I learned something very, very valuable. (laughs) First thing I learned is, my God, if I'm good, anyway. So the second thing I learned was this, is um, it doesn't take money to enjoy your life. So if that's your desire, your desires are in the wrong place. If anything outside of wanting to serve Jesus dictates our happiness, then those idols will always control our happiness. An idol is anything you want or desire or will more than Jesus, more than the plan that God has for you. Nothing wrong with wanting more money or wanting this. Nothing wrong with that as long as it's from God and you're putting him first. And God's put that dream inside of you to have this influence or to do this so you can bless other people. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. So Song of Solomon, or Solomon, I'll say, um, he was the wisest man who ever lived. Okay, take the screen. I said it too soon. Tell uh, wisest man who ever lived. Um, he tried everything in his life to be happy. If you read the Bible, this man tried everything, everything. He tried women. He had over 900 women. You know, he wasn't as wise as maybe we think he is, but he had 900 women and he still wasn't happy, still wasn't happy, tried that. He tried money. He had so much money. He literally did not know what to do with it, literally. He was the richest man in the entire world. And the Bible says he's actually the richest man who will ever live. So there'll be no one else on earth other than Jesus who was as rich as Solomon. That that didn't make him happy. So then he tried fame, popularity. He was so popular, the queen of Sheba actually traveled a long distance and paid Solomon money just to hear him talk. Just to hear the words out. That's how wise and popular he was. And none of that worked. He could not find, finally, at the end of his life, and unfortunately, you know, a lot of, I guess, gray-haired people in here, you probably realize the same thing that Solomon realized toward the last season of his life, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. He said, after trying all of this to be happy, the end of the matter is this, worship God and obey his commands. This is the original purpose of man and the foundation of all happiness. This is what life is all about. Man, once you surrender your will to Jesus, I'm telling you, everything changes. So, if, if number one was mind, and it means getting church, getting the word, getting the devotion, and number two is surrender your will to Jesus Christ, yeah, this is what it means to be saved. And this is literally what it means to be saved. Um, you know, Deion Sanders, he's a great athlete of his day. Well, his, his dream, his whole life, was to win the Super Bowl. That's all he ever wanted. He trained for year after year. He dreamed about it. He talked about it. So he was a child. I just want to win the Super Bowl. And finally, Deion Sanders won the Super Bowl. And there was a very interesting interview at the end of that week. He said, the night that I won the Super Bowl was the most discouraging and depressing night of my life. They said, What are you talking about? He said, It was the pinnacle of my career. It's everything I dreamed about, everything I wanted in life. And he said, When I got home that night, I thought, what do I do with my life now? This is what I want. It's my dream. I worked so hard, and now what's left? Yay, I've won the Super Bowl. What do I do? Here's what he was saying: was my desires, my will, my wants, they were in the wrong place. And it took finally getting to that place to finally realize after these two decades that it was in the wrong place the whole time. If there's anything you want more than God, it is an idol. Point number three is this, emotions. Emotions. So if, if mind, you got to fill yourself with the right things. If will, you need to surrender it to God. Then point number three is you got to learn how to rule over your emotions. Uh, Romans 8, 8 says this, those who are living a life. Now it doesn't say those who have who, fallen or have sinned or made a mistake. It says if they're living this way, They're living a life that caters to the flesh. Sinful appetites and impulses. They cannot please God. There's no way, shape, or form they can please God. Here's what this is basically saying is people who live by their emotions, they're not saved and they're going to hell. If, if you live by how you feel rather than what you want or what God wants you to do, you're not saved. Because when you give your life to Christ, he changes your heart, which is your desire. He changed, Now your desire is, you know, I may make a mistake, I may do something I feel every now and then, but at the end of the day, I want to serve God. At the end of the day, I I have to repent because I know it wasn't right. I want Jesus to be first. If, if, if If you're living based on how you feel, you're not saved. Psalms 144 15 says, happy are people whose God is the Lord. Now that word Lord, we don't use that in our culture a lot. If you travel anywhere else around the world to any Bible believing Christians, They use Lord more than any other word to describe Jesus. We say Jesus is my savior. He's my healer. Sometimes we say he's my brother or he's my friend and all that's true. But he's also our Lord. And our culture doesn't have that word a lot. When when something is your Lord or when someone's your Lord, that means you have no say. You do not get to have a say anymore. If the Lord says clean your room and you say, I just don't feel like it. I just feel like I need to not clean my room. He'll say, I don't care what you feel. I'm your Lord. You do what I say. And if you don't, you repent for it. You ask forgiveness and you change your ways and you ask me to change your mind. But if I'm your Lord, I'm in charge. I'm in charge. Here's the problem. One of the biggest problems with our society today is this, is we're telling everybody to live by how they feel. Let me tell you the most evil and deceptive lie you could ever speak off of your lips. And that is, if it makes you happy, do it. There is no more deceptive lie in the entire universe. You would destroy someone's life. You'll send them straight to hell. Do not pass go. They'll burn for all of eternity. They'll fall in utter blackness if you tell them, do what makes you happy. You don't do what makes you happy. You do what God wants you to do or what what you want. If you want to serve God, then don't do what you feel. Do what you want. Um, In fact, our society, and I I don't mean to offend anybody, our society is so twisted with this, they actually put feelings above biology. If you feel this way, then that's, whoa, 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 what about science? Well, I feel like a spider. Well, you know what? Biologically, John Paul, you don't have eight legs. Doesn't matter, I feel like it anyway. Deuteronomy 22.5 says, women must not act like men, even if they feel like it. And women must, and men must not act like women, even if you feel like it. The Lord's disgusted with that. Here's New Testament, Romans 1.27, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. So here's here's something I want to teach you. When you teach somebody, when you teach society, do what makes you happy, you actually remove their free will. It's not called free emotion or free feeling, it's called free will. Free will is do what you want, right? And we all have a free will to do what we want. But when you say live by how you feel, well, what if I, I want to do something that's right? What if I want to serve God? What if I want to please God? What if I want to obey my teacher? It doesn't matter if it makes you happy. And if you feel it, that's the direction you go. So let's say that there's a child, a teenager, that, um, that they're so incredibly depressed. I mean, so depressed. They're distraught and they feel like committing suicide, but they don't want to. Well, too late. You've already told them through society, do whatever you feel. If it feels good, if it makes you happy, do it. But, but what if they want to serve God? What if they want to live? Doesn't matter. If you feel it, go for it. Just commit suicide. That's what you feel. So that's what we're teaching our kids today. What if a bully is bullying them at school and they want to stand up to the bully? They want to go to a teacher. They want to go to the principal and say, and they want to go to their parents and say, mom, dad, I got, for the past six months I've been bullied. Can we please? What if that's what they want to do? They want to have confidence. They want to do the right thing, but they feel like getting a gun and blowing that bully's head off at school. Which one do you want them to do? Well, you've already taught them for the past 12 years. Just do what you feel. Do you see how sick that is, how it removes the free will from us? You can't do do what you want to do. You got to do what you feel like doing. Uh, I'll I'll give you another one. Um, Let's see, I had another good example. Oh, and this is happening a lot. Uh, Teenagers that cut themselves. Now, this happens a lot, a lot more than you think. In fact, you, you really need to know your children. Because I can't tell you how many parents I've met over the years that had no idea their children were cutting themselves. They'll take a razor blade and they'll just they'll slit their legs. Here's why they do it, because of the feeling. They don't want to do it. They want to seek help, but it feels good in the moment. That's why people run into pornography. That's why if you ever go to a drug addict and their teeth are falling out of their head and their skin's scratching, they're losing weight. If you say, listen, drug addict, do you want to be addicted to these drugs? Do you want to lose your life? Do you want to lose your money? Here's what they say to you. I don't want to. I don't want to do it. And they say, why do you do it? Because it feels good. Yeah. And in the moment, it feels really good to them. And afterwards, they regret it. But we're teaching the whole, all of America. If it feels good, if it makes you happy, go for it. Here's the problem. Proverbs 23, 14 is this. Do not withhold discipline from the child or else he will die punish and correct and deliver, punish and correct him, and you'll deliver his soul from hell. Amen. So let me teach you this, and let me tell you what, and it's funny, I wrote this sermon uh, before I saw anything of that swimmer that's on social media or whatever, the, the guy, I, I didn't even see that, I already wrote this, and here's why I wrote it, I, I coach soccer twice a year, half for 20 years, season starts this week, actually, and um, every season All these parents, they bombard the rec center that I I, I, I serve at um, for their kids to be on my team. And the rec center called. And said, "John Paul, we can't do it. Said, we send the email out. They can't choose their coach." We, I said, "I'm not. I said these. Are, I'm not doing nothing. The parents do this. They beg for their kids to be on my team. And so, um, and that's not. You know, that's not how they operate. It's just kind of random. Well, this one parent called, begged to have. And it was a girl that I coached a few years ago when she was nine or ten. Beautiful young lady. Beautiful, great athlete. And um, and they you know, had their their name. And they called me. They said, well, she's changed her name to a boy.'" And she wants to be referred as him and he, and she's on your. He's on your team. And I said, um, no. I said I can't have her on my team. I'm sorry. I said, why not? I said, well, two things. Number one is I'm not gonna pretend. You know, you can pretend all day, but for you to put, you're gonna force me. You're gonna force me. You want free will, and you're gonna force my free will to pretend that you're something. You're not. I'm not gonna pretend. Here's the second reason. I don't want her to go to hell. I don't want to go to, if there's going to be one person in her life that says, I love you and I care about you enough to say, this is not the way you, you don't live by how you feel. You don't live by what makes you happy in the moment. You, you, you have to live, if you're going to be, if you ever want to serve Jesus, you got to live by his will. And, and not what you feel, in and I, I just can't let her go to hell. Now, here's the thing. I've had people in my life that I love very, very much that took me a decade and a lot of counseling to finally say, I can't be in your life. Because 1 Corinthians 5 actually tells us we are not supposed to sit down and even eat with somebody who decides to live, not fall or fail or battle, but live away like that. And when someone says, I don't care, what Jesus says, I don't care about this. I'm going to live this way because it's how I feel. If they choose to live that way, First Corinthians 5 says, as believers, we, we should not even sit down and eat with them because they've made a decision. I do not want to do what God wants. I want to live in a way that makes me feel good. We can't eat with them. Biblical. So here's where, and I had to, and it took so much Counseling for me to finally say I just can't be I just can't I can't because when I'm around you I'm not gonna pretend and I'm not gonna give you my okay. I love you too much to do that Somebody in your life has to tell you this isn't right So here's the thing you can either be in a relationship with that person for your lifetime if it makes you happy Or you can be in relationship with them for all of eternity You can be the example and maybe they finally come to Christ for all of eternity Or you can just have them in your life while you're alive on earth One's selfish, and the other one's a very giving, loving thing to do. And I'll, I'll let you choose the thing to do. Now, if you, if you decide that you're going to do the right thing, there's no guarantee that that person will ever come to Jesus. But if you decide to do the wrong thing and not correct and not bring discipline, there is a guarantee they'll go to hell. Just want you to know. It, it, and and, I, and this, if, you're, if you're their authority figure and there's no discipline, imagine me having somebody on my soccer team and I say, I need you to play this position. I don't feel like it. I feel like playing this position. Whoa, 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 I'm the coach. If you can't submit to a coach, how are you going to submit to Jesus? If you can't submit to an usher in church, how are you going to submit your will to God? All right? And it happens all the time. We can't live by emotions and be disciples at the same time. The Bible never says get people saved. It implies it, and that's great. But the Bible actually says make disciples. Okay, the word disciple comes from the word discipline. Discipline. In other words, you have to train people to discipline their lifestyles. When someone is disciplined like a military man or woman or a a Navy SEAL, you know, you see these guys, you know, you see how confident they are because they've lived such a disciplined life. Discipline means if your commander in chief says it or if the sergeant says it or whatever, you do it. Get down and give me 20 push push-ups. You do it. They discipline their life after that. And then it changes everything on the inside of them. Okay, you can't be a disciple of Christ and live by how you feel at the same time. It'll never work out for you. It'll never work out. Okay, last story, and I'll, I'll let you go. Um, David was 29 years old. He was living in a place called Ziglag. Everybody say Ziglag. That's just a fun word to say. I don't know why. Some translations spell it Z I K L A G. Some spell it Z I G L A G. But either way, Ziglag. And um, David was born in Bethlehem, and he had a pretty good past, right? He defeated Goliath. Became a hero. Uh, He served in the courts of Saul. You know, he served in the palace. And he had a pretty good future because he was anointed at 17 to be king of Israel. Good past, good future. But he's not in either one of those places. He's not in Bethlehem and he's not yet in Jerusalem. He's in the Ziglag. Ziglag represents a place that is just supposed to be temporary. It's not supposed to be a permanent place in life. Ziglag represents... Um, in between our, our prophecy and our destiny. It represents the place in between our past and our future. In verse 1, it says, David and his men, they came home to Ziglag, They were all fighting the Philistines. And they found the Amalekites had taken all the women and children and burned the city to the ground. Not a very good place to be. In between prophecy and destiny. In between past and future. In between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. It's that place in life where your emotions try to tell you, give up. And your emotions say if you're unhappy, just live that way. If you're depressed, just stay home from church. If you're lonely, you're never gonna find somebody. It's where your emotions try to tell you, don't do what your will says or what God wants, just live by how you feel. Verse four says the men cried until they were too weak to cry anymore. And these were manly men. These men did not play the piano. These men did not have a garden. No, 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 these men could burp the entire alphabet. Hebrew and Greek, that's how manly they were, all in one burp. They were manly men. And they were upset because David said, hey, let's all leave the women and children and go fight in this battle. Because David thought that's what God wanted him to do. And believe it or not, that is what God wanted him to do. But yet all these bad things just happen. In verse six, David was distressed and his own men spoke of stoning him. So now he's got nothing. His wife's stolen, his children are kidnapped. And now his best friends are talking about, we're going to kill him. We're going to blame it on David. You talk about being in a nasty place in life, a place where your emotions are saying, give up. It's a place where your emotions try to rule over your will. And when you feed your mind the right things and your will belongs to Jesus, your will is going to be stronger than your emotions. Now Every now and then our emotions pull us astray and we do things that feel good, but we come back and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. Help me not do it again. That's how you know you're saved. Not, I'm gonna live this way, that's just who I am. And I want you to be okay with it. I'm not okay with anybody going to hell. I want people to surrender to Jesus. In verse six, David did something that very few men and women know how to do. It says he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Let me tell you, he didn't have anybody, his pastor didn't answer the cell phone. He was texting his mama, she was out of town away from the phone. He emailed his best friend. They said, We're going to stone you. Nobody was there for him, but he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Here's what he was saying. He was saying, You know what? Ziglag, we're not going to die here. Ziglag, we're not going to stay here. Ziglag, we're not going to camp out in this place. This is not my permanent destiny. This is not where I belong. This is just a temporary place. God's trying to teach me something. I'm going to rule over these emotions. I may feel unhappy, but I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord my God. And finally, in verse 8, God spoke to him and said, You shall pursue the enemy, overtake them, and without fail, recover all. Listen real close. God speaks very, very clearly when we allow our emotions to settle down and we put them underneath our will. But when you're all high strung doing the emotional thing, God barely ever gets a word in. Your emotions can stop the voice of God. Let me say it like that, okay? And David did what God said in verse 19. I love this. Nothing was missing. David recovered all and watch this. There was so much spoil that David sent gifts to 14 cities. He came out way better off than he was before. And you know what I love about this story is, and you know, David's my man. David, that's the, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna say hey to Jesus, and I'm gonna run to David, then I'll go back to Jesus, and then I'll go back to David. I'm gonna spend the first 2,000 centuries just talking to both those two guys. 72 hours after this, King Saul died and David became king. 13 years waiting for this to happen. 13 years, and on the worst day of his life, when he suppressed those emotions and did what God wanted rather than how he felt, three days later, his future showed up and the crown was put on his head. That tells me very, very strongly, you may be in zig today, but if you will fill your mind with the word, surrender your will to Jesus and rule over your emotions, then without fail, you will recover every bit of joy that's been stolen from you. Amen. Amen.